Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. All right, so after all that, good afternoon, church. It's great to be sharing with you again this morning. Um, as we begin, can I just ask for a moment of real honesty? So the, the last time I was speaking here, it was New Year's Day, and we're now about a third of the way through the year. So if we're being honest, how's your year going? Are things going to plan? How are the old resolutions holding up? Are things thriving for you? Or are you just trying to survive? Do you feel like your job's a joke? You're broke? Your love life's DOA? Are you always stuck in second gear? Hasn't been your day, your week, your month, even your year? So the last few years, they've been tough for a lot of us. Just when one crisis seems to be settling, there's something new comes up, more breaking news, another variant, another risk of World War III, a fresh price rise, more redundancies, another wedding invite with no prospects of your own marriage, another toddler meltdown. Maybe that's just my daily experience. In my work as a psychiatrist, I see people all the time who are struggling and if I was to guess, as a church, we're probably no different from the general population. There's probably many of us today that, if we were being honest, when I ask for a show of hands, you would raise your hands and would admit that you are in a struggle at the moment. So this morning, what I want to do is talk about living a life that thrives. I want to look at what it means to actually thrive and how we can attain that in our daily experience. Anyone interested? Great. That's a good start. <laughs> So I don't know if many of you were at our worship night a few month, weeks ago with Ryan Brown, and he spoke about the difference between pavlova messages and broccoli messages, and that really resonated with me because I love cooking and baking. I was hoping for a loud amen there for Dylan because I made a six-course dinner for him a couple of weeks ago, but maybe he's saving his responses for whenever we get to the more spiritual points later on. Uh, so the message I want to share this morning is what I would consider a, a slow cooker message. I don't know about you, but recently I've been a, a big fan of slow cooking, filling it up in the morning and just letting it go on low and letting the smell of food gradually fill the house over the day. And this message is something that's been sort of mulling around in the, the back of my mind for a while now. But whenever Pastor Phil asked me last weekend if I could share this morning, I felt God was sort of setting off the timer that now's the time. So I pray that this is a word in good season to, to serve it up to us as a church today. Okay, so I want to start this morning by asking a gardening question. What does it take for plants to grow? It seems a basic question, but there seems to be something that I'm missing because over the years I've had quite a lot of struggles trying to get anything to grow in my garden. I've brought a plant with me this morning. It's fresh from Lidl rather than from my garden. Uh, nothing in my garden's alive at the moment. But there's a couple of things that plants need. So they need water, so I've got water for it. Anyone asleep yet that needs waking up? Where's Joe Craig sitting? The other thing that plants need is they need light. So whenever my wife and I first got married, we were renting, and for one of her birthdays, Cherif got this rose plant. And because we were renting, I didn't want to plant it into the garden. I wanted to leave it in the pot until we moved to our own house. That then, whenever we did buy a house, got out into the garden, went to the shop, bought a spade, dug a hole, put the rose plant in it, went back to the shop, bought a watering can, watered it, and then washed as within weeks it withered and died. Uh, last spring I planted primroses, thinking that they would be a nice plant that would come back year after year, and this year we have half a primrose that's come back. I got tulips from my brother for Christmas, he gave me bulbs for some reason, he decided that that was what I needed, and 
there was a, a pack of eight bulbs, planted them, and I now have one ground-level tulip. So seemingly he bought me some cheap knockoff ones that don't grow stems, or indeed don't grow at all. And I haven't just dabbled with growing flowers, I've also tried to grow vegetables and fruits. Last summer I managed two raspberries, and there was a spell at the end of the summer where I was getting one tomato a week. So you might be wondering, why am I talking so much about growing plants and food? Well, this is the time of year when people start to get out into the garden and start trying to grow things, trying to, to make the garden look pretty or trying to, to get a bit of food coming for the summer. And so it got me thinking about what it needs for plants to grow. But more significantly, it got me thinking about what we need to grow, what we need to thrive. And that's the message I believe God wants us to focus on this morning. So we're going to be based in Ezekiel 17 to try and explore what's needed for us to thrive. But before we begin, I need to give you a warning. You see, Ezekiel contains this prophetic word that God gave, and he describes it in verse 1 as a riddle and a parable. So as we turn to God's word in Ezekiel 17, let me begin by praying that God would bring clarity and insight. So Father God, we just give this message over to you. Let these words be your words, not mine. Let it land on good soil. Let your word take root and use it to shape us and transform us more into the image of Jesus. Amen. So let's turn to, to God's Word in Ezekiel 17, from verses 1 to 10. The Word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, propound a riddle and speak a parable to the house of Israel. Say thus, says the Lord God, a great eagle with great wings and long pinions, rich in plumage of many colors, came to Lebanon and took the top of the cedar. He broke off the topmost of its young twigs and carried it to a land of trade and set it in a city of merchants. Then he took the seed of the land and planted it in fertile soil. He placed it beside abundant waters. He set it like a willow twig, and it sprouted and became a long-spreading vine, and its branches turned towards him, and its roots remained where it stood. So it became a vine and produced branches and put out boughs. And then there was another eagle with great wings and much plumage, and behold, this vine bent its root towards him and shot forth its branches towards him from the bed where it was planted that he might water it. It had been planted on good soil by abundant waters that it might bear branches and bear fruit and become a noble vine. Say, thus says the Lord God, will it thrive? Will he not pull up its roots and cut off its fruit so that it withers, so that all its fresh sprouting leaves wither? It will not take a strong arm or many people to pull it from its roots. Behold, it is planted. Will it thrive? Will it not utterly wither when the east wind strikes it, wither away on the bed where it sprouted? So if you're taking notes this morning, the message that I've given this title is, Will It Thrive? That's the question that I want to pose to each of us this morning. It's the question that God asks in this passage. And I want us to consider, is our life currently thriving? What it looks like to have a life that truly does thrive? And then what we can do to ensure that we do thrive? So we need to, to first look at the, the actual context of this prophetic message, because often with Old Testament prophecies, they can be confusing, particularly with all the pictorial language that maybe doesn't resonate with our experience today. I don't know if any of you have ever been attacked by giant eagles whilst you've been trying to garden. I know I haven't. There's multiple layers to the writing of Old Testament prophets. There's an immediate meaning for the, con the original audience, but there's also principles that we can extrapolate forward for ourselves for today. So we need to look at the original meaning and what it meant to the audience then. So first of all, what the eagle represented. It represented the great king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. 
And the top branch of the cedar, it was Judah's king, Jehoiakim, and the princes of Judah. So in 597 BC, the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar, they actually besieged and captured Jerusalem. The Babylonians, they took away King Jehoiakim and they brought him into Jerusalem, brought him away from Jerusalem and brought him to Babylon where he lived as sort of a captive. And Babylon at that time was known as the city of merchants. And they then installed King Jehoiakim's uncle, Zedekiah, as the new king of Judah. So the seeds and the low vine, they represent Zedekiah and those who were left behind in Jerusalem. So King Nebuchadnezzar made this covenant with Zedekiah that essentially Zedekiah was to serve as a puppet king and that really it was Nebuchadnezzar was now in charge. Um, Jerusalem had been in effect, in effect annexed by Babylon and was now a vassal state. But just as the, the vine stretched out its branches towards a second eagle, Zedekiah, he actually, instead of staying loyal to Nebuchadnezzar, rebelled, broke the covenant and tried to make a new covenant with Egypt in order to try and lead an uprising against King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, didn't go so well. The uprising failed. Uh, Babylon came in force and completely destroyed Jerusalem, knocked down all the walls, the houses, destroyed the temple. They then took Zedekiah captive, took his sons captive, killed Zedekiah's sons in front of him, and then blinded him. And then they took pretty much everyone that was left in Jerusalem into captivity. So who needs to watch succession when you've got all that drama going on in the Bible? You see, the people of Jerusalem, they allowed themselves to be distracted from what God had for them, and they lusted after earthly rulers. They just wanted to be like the, the seemingly successful nations that they saw around them, Babylon and Egypt. They switched from being faithful to their covenant with God to putting their hope in nations with military powers, and they put their hope just in worldly things. They settled for less than God's best, and they grew in a way that wouldn't thrive. They wanted to be like the nations that they saw around them, they abandoned God's ways, wasting their energy and pursuing things that wasn't God. They sought after short-term worldly gains rather than the better eternal things that God had for them. And so God let them be taken over by the Babylonians to serve as a wake-up call that they needed to return to trusting in God. But rather than return to God, they turned to other nations, looking to form treaties with Egypt and then trying to overthrow Babylon. They broke the covenant that they'd made with God, and then they continued that pattern by breaking the covenant they'd made with other nations. And God wasn't impressed with that behavior. It ultimately leads to a complete period of withering for Israel. So there's a couple of questions that spring to mind from this passage. And the first question we need to ask is, what are we growing towards? It's only whenever we seek to grow towards God that we become rooted in him and that then we get a faith that thrives and endures. And secondly, we need to ask ourselves, is our life lived the way we're currently living, going to thrive long-term? Now, there is a danger that whenever you hear me say the word thrive, you think that this is going to be a, a prosperity message about how God wants to just bless you with promotion at work and a bigger car and a better salary, it's just as long as you give to church and pray hard enough. But that's not what I'm going to talk about this morning, don't worry, because that's not what God promises. Sorry to disappoint you if that's what you were hoping for. Despite what the guy with the dodgy fake tan says on TV, that's not how God works, and the only person who's going to prosper when you donate to him is him. This isn't a call to a life of material prosperity. You see, there's a difference between thriving and just having wealth. Jesus never promises us a life of comfort, ease, and endless riches. There's all sorts of false teachers out there promising you free life free from sickness and suffering, but that probably doesn't match up with your experience, definitely doesn't match up with mine. 
and it's not what the gospel offers us. We're warned there will be a cost, there will be persecution, it'll be hard at times, there'll be relegations for your football team. Sorry, is that too soon for the Portadown FC fans? Jesus doesn't promise us a life full of health and wealth, but he does promise us in John 10 verse 10, life in all of its abundance. And that's what it means to live a life that thrives, to have the abundance of life that Jesus promises in the midst of the challenges and trials of life. A life of thriving faith isn't going to be free from struggle. Jesus isn't offering us instant success and abundant provision in all that we do. The call to thrive isn't about getting all of our wishes fulfilled and floating through life with no challenges. The call to thrive is a plea to build your life in such a way that it will sustain you and see you through the darkest days and the worst storms until there comes that glorious moment when we do hear the well done good and faithful servant when all tears finally will get wiped away. You see, the call to thrive isn't about spending all of life just praising God on the mountaintops, but about being able to navigate the valley moments without giving up. If we look at the example of the disciples in Mark 4, we see them on the boat with Jesus one night when it gets a bit windy and the waters get pretty choppy. And the disciples, they're starting to freak out, worried that they're about to die. And we need to remember that the disciples, before Jesus called them, were fishermen. This wasn't their first rodeo. They'd probably been in a few storms before. And if they were afraid, we know things must have been pretty bad. Meanwhile, Jesus, he's just taking a nap. And after the disciples wake him, Jesus calms the storm and he asks them why they were afraid. You see, here's the thing, the thriving life, the life with Jesus isn't a life that's gonna be without storms, but it is a life that can go through the storms without sinking because of our faith in Jesus and his love for us. There's an old hymn, Begone Unbelief, which I encountered actually via a patient when I was working on a dementia ward, and the lyrics of the first verses go like this. Begone unbelief, my savior is near, and for my relief will surely appear. By prayer let me wrestle, and he will perform. With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. Though dark be my way, since he is my guide, tis mine to obey, tis his to provide. Though cisterns be broken, and all creatures fail, the word he hath spoken shall surely prevail. And I really love that line, with Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm, because that sums up to me what having a thriving life really is. It's about having such security in our relationship with Jesus that the storms of life those difficult diagnoses, the unexpected bills, the, the unwanted breakups, they won't derail us, they shan't steal our joy, and they can't crush our faith in the prevailing Word of God. You see, there's significance in me sharing that I heard that s song, first of all, from a patient on a dementia ward. And I want to encourage you that the hope we have through the gospel, the hope of the resurrection life made possible through the Easter message that Pastor Phil shared about a couple of weeks ago, is a hope that can sustain us and allow us to thrive even whenever our bodies start to fail, as our memories fade and as our physical health deteriorates. It's a hope that isn't based on our external circumstances, but can thrive even when everything around us seems desperate. So the key question asked by God to the people of Jerusalem in this chapter is, will it thrive? So that's the, the first point I want to press in with, is that we need to ask ourselves that question. We need to ask ourselves, is the way that we're living going to thrive long-term? You see, it can be all too possible to, to live a life that externally looks to be going well, but on the inside, it's just completely crumbling. We can give an appearance to those around us that we have it all together, but in reality, on the inside, we're dying. I don't know if you know of the comedian Josh Widdicombe. He's pretty successful. He's been on multiple TV shows, multiple sell-out tours, has podcasts, best-selling books, and he's married with two young children. 
the internet reliably tells me he has a, a wealth of 1.4 million, and if we know one thing, we know if it's on the internet, it must be true. He seems to have that sort of career that most of us would give anything to have, doing everything right and having a great time. However, a couple of weeks ago, he revealed that he's actually been struggling with anxiety and depression to the extent that he was drinking himself to sleep every night and wasn't enjoying life. He reached a point of realization in December that things really were not going well and that he needed help. So he actually has been started on antidepressant medication. And I think it's a warning for us that we can so easily get caught up in carving out what seems to be the perfect life, that we neglect the things that really matter. We neglect what it is that enables us to truly thrive. We push our relationship with God to the margins, and then we wonder why we aren't finding the satisfaction that we need through climbing the career ladder or hooking up with that guy or girl. We spend all our time just creating the, the perfect Instagram life, making our house look perfect on the, the little four by four square, whenever really all the junk's just pushed to a corner. The thriving life, you see, ultimately, it isn't based on our wealth that we accumulate or the possessions that we stockpile just for our children to throw out when we die. The life that truly thrives is one in which our relationship with God is our priority, not our bank balance. And that's why it's so important for us to examine ourselves deeply, to look not just on the surface to answer the question of will it thrive, but to look to the core, to look to the heart, to check that our foundation is secure in Jesus because it's only plants with deep roots that will survive whenever the storms strike. The external stuff may look nice, may feel nice, may be fun to experience, but ultimately what matters is where our foundations are, because that's what enables us to thrive. You see, when the storms come, anything external can and will be blown away. But if we're deeply rooted in Jesus' love, then we'll be able to endure, sustain, and even thrive in the middle of the storms. There's a famous saying supposedly uttered by Socrates that the unexamined life is not worth living. And I want to encourage you that we need to take some time ourselves to examine our own lives and ask questions. What are you living for? Whose approval are, are you seeking? Who are you trying to impress? Are we living for God or are we trying to get the approval of man? I want to encourage you maybe this afternoon or later on during the week to, to find some time when you can be quiet and still and to really ask the Holy Spirit to help you discern the answers to those questions yourself, to, to see if you're building on a firm foundation or on shaky sand. You see, the, the central concept, the thing you need to remember if you forget everything else that I say, is that we need to examine how we're living and ask that question that God asked the Israelites, will it thrive? Not in an earthly sense, but in a heavenly sense. Is the way that we're living going to enable us to live a life that remains rooted in Christ's love, and that produces good fruit in our families, in our friendship circles, in our town. And if it isn't, then we need to be prepared to make some changes. We need to be aware that there's future consequences to the way that we're living now. The path that we're set down on today will lead us towards a future that will either thrive or wither. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 to 17, Moses puts it like this before the people of Israel. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. It's really clear. The only way our life ultimately is going to thrive 
is if we love the Lord our God and walk in His ways. Otherwise, no matter what short-term success we get in life, eventually it's going to be for nothing. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend all my time, energy, and resources on something that's ultimately going to crumble and be forgotten. When I think of my family, my, my daughters, Ada and Abigail, I want to see them grow and thrive into the woman that God designed them to be, which means that I need to spend less time worrying about the things that ultimately don't matter. I need to spend less time chasing the things that make it look to others like I'm thriving, less time trying to earn more money to buy fancier cars or more exotic holidays, and instead spend more time loving God and walking in His ways. So turning back to Ezekiel 17, God asks the question, will it thrive? And whenever I see that question, it strikes me that our God is all-seeing and all-knowing. Whenever He asks questions, He's not looking for counsel. He's not wondering and speculating what the answer is going to be. He knows. When God asks questions, they're, they're always rhetorical because He knows the answer. And it can be a useful teaching technique, asking rhetorical questions. God does it to, to try and get the person hearing the question to take note and reflect on what they're doing. It's a technique that's often used by one of my TV heroes, Paul Hollywood, on the Bake Off, when a contestant's telling him what they're going to cook, and Paul asks them, are you really sure about that flavor combination? He's not asking them because he's wondering. He's asking them because his years of experience have taught him that really what the contestant's about to do is create something completely inedible. And he's trying to, to give them a bit of a clue and suggestion that they need to change course pretty urgently. And that's what God's doing whenever he asks that question, will it thrive? He's trying to give the Israelites and us a nudge to, to take stock of how we're living and what we're doing, to take stock of the choices that we're making and ask the question, do we need to make some changes here? But also when God asks the question, will it thrive? He's showing us that it is possible to live in such a way that our life will indeed thrive, that the answer could be yes. So that's what I want to turn to looking at now. If we return to Ezekiel 17, to the final verses, looking at verses 22 to 24, God outlines a better way to live. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs, a tender one, and I myself will plant it on the high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And all of the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree and make high the low tree. Dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. So what we see here is that while the crop planted under the eagles of Babylon and Egypt ultimately wither, the tree planted under the Lord God, they will grow, bear fruit, and flourish. And that's the key to having a life that thrives, being planted under God. You see, plants grow towards light. And we need to ask ourselves, are we growing towards the light of the world, or are we growing towards lesser lights? We need to be wary of making that same mistake that the people of Israel did when they were lured away from following the one true God. Let us resolve not to put our trust in anything other than God, because He alone is the one that can provide for all of our needs and protect us from all harm. You see, the way we thrive is by having a relationship that's deeply rooted in the love of Jesus, pursuing Him, desiring Him, longing to spend more time with Him, rather than growing towards the things of the world. And here's the really good news. Look carefully at who's doing the work in this part of the passage. It's not us. It's God. 
You see, God plants and tends to us in such a way that we can thrive. We don't thrive through our own striving. We thrive through the work of God. We don't have to worry about not doing enough, trying to make it in our own efforts. We don't have to live in fear that because we didn't go to enough church services or do enough Bible studies, we're going to miss out. The work that enables us to thrive was done and completed by Jesus on the cross. He's made it, he did the work in a way that we can thrive by being restored into a relationship with God, our Father. You see, a Roman cross on a hill outside Jerusalem probably isn't what the world thinks of when it thinks of thriving. ChatGPT isn't going to suggest it if you ask it for examples of thriving. It doesn't make sense to human or AI minds. But by taking our place on the cross, Jesus has made a way. He's paid the price in full of our debt and enabled us to live a life that thrives. You see, that's where our hope comes from. When we remember the price that Jesus paid, when we remember that now nothing's going to be able to separate us from God's love, then we can thrive in all circumstances because of that confidence and eternal security we get from that glorious promise. You see, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise that we can thrive. Jesus very clearly takes elements from this passage and references them in his ministry. In Mark 4, he describes his kingdom as like a mustard seed, starting small and growing to a large plant with branches where birds rest in the, sh in the shade. Does that sound familiar from the passage? And in John 15, Jesus describes himself as the central vine and us as branches growing out in order that we may bear fruit. Again, sound familiar from Ezekiel? You see, Jesus is who this riddle from Ezekiel was pointing to. The only life that will truly thrive is one lived for him. If we want a life that thrives, we need to stop chasing after the things of the world, wealth, status, appearance, and instead chase after deepening our relationship with Jesus. So let's consider what it means to live a life that thrives. To thrive means to grow well or vigorously. And a life that thrives is one where we know our purpose. Our purpose in life is to know God and to make him known, to find freedom and to make a difference in the world around us. The marker of if you're thriving isn't how big your bank balance is, how many likes you have on TikTok or what sort of car you drive. It doesn't matter how quickly your two-liter engine goes from not to 60. You'll not be getting through the evening traffic on the Northway and Bridge Street any quicker than me and my one-liter LPG Dacia. 80p a litre to refuel, who's laughing now? <laughs> we need to move away from measuring and thriving and success in the way the world does and start measuring it the way God does. You see, Ezekiel shows us in verse 23 that we were planted by God to bear fruit. And he tells us in verse 24 that we were planted to make it known that God is Lord. The marker of life that is thriving is if we're fulfilling that purpose. Doesn't necessarily mean having a large platform a big reputation or seeing thousands converted per personally. What it means is being faithful to the assignment that God has for you, wherever he's planted you, bearing fruit and pointing people to Jesus. A thriving faith can be content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. It's when our faith is thriving that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So let's get really practical. We've looked at what it means to have a life that thrives and what's required for a life to thrive, but what specific steps can we take? Jesus makes it clear in John 15 that the way we thrive is by staying connected to the vine, being branches in the vine that is Jesus. And there's many ways that we can remain rooted and grounded in the vine. I just want to highlight a few as we start moving towards a conclusion. Firstly, we stay connected to the vine through good watering, by soaking ourselves in the word of God, letting it shape us above all else. You see, sermons, podcasts, and Christian books all have their value, but what we need most is to be watered by the word, direct from the source. 
And the good news, if you struggle with reading this morning, is that for most of church history, Christians didn't have great literacy skills. It's only really in the past 400 years that the printing press has made it even possible to think about owning your own personal copy of the Bible. For the majority of history, for the majority of Christians, the way they encountered the Word of God was through hearing it rather than reading it. And that's an equally valid way for us today. There's many different apps you can get on your phone with audio Bibles read in all sorts of different fancy accents, and some of them even have good fancy backing music to to make it sound even more spiritual. Just the way Dylan's hopefully going to make the final part of this message sound nice and holy now. The next thing we can do is allow the Holy Spirit to prune us. You see, seasoned gardeners like myself, they know that you have to prune plants by cutting off those parts which aren't bearing fruit in order that the ones that are bearing fruit can grow better and produce more fruit. It's one thing to do the work of asking that question and examining ourselves and asking, is the way I'm living really going to thrive? It's a whole nother step to actually do the work of surrendering those areas that are harmful over to God and asking the Holy Spirit to cut them away, to let the blood of Jesus break those chains of bondage to the past and walk away from them. But it's such a vital step and one that has been done by so many people here who've been doing the Freedom Course on Sunday nights and By all accounts, if you've missed it this time, you're going to want to clear your diary for the next cohort. Then, we need to stay close to our fellow branches. I don't know if you've ever been to a vineyard, but if you look at the vines, they're all intertwined, and that adds strength to the structure. It's the same for us. We need Jesus as our core, but we also need the strengthening support of one another. We need to be surrounded by fellow believers. And yes, that means coming to church on a Sunday, but we need more than that. So I want to encourage you to to get more interwoven with your fellow branches. Be it meeting up regularly with one or two close friends for coffee and prayer, or going for a prayer hike with some close friends, or maybe if you're not yet signed up to a group, signing up to one of our groups. I know a great one on a Thursday night with good buns, or if you want a more unbiased opinion, come and speak to the welcome team afterwards at at the desk at the way out. The final practical step I want to highlight this morning is that we need to just simply get active and produce fruit. You see, whenever a vine's watered and gets sunlight, it doesn't keep all those good nutrients in itself. It uses them to make new fruit, to make grapes. Whenever our faith is thriving, it will produce fruit. And the way we produce fruit is to get active in serving. So maybe you need to find an area to start serving in today, to find some person that you can invest in or find a serving area in the church that you can get connected with. I know particularly the kids team, they'd be really keen if you are interested in serving at all to, to come and speak to them afterwards today to hear all about the, the summer serve, the summer blast holiday club that's going on and they'll be really keen to get your, you on board. But whatever it is, don't miss the opportunity. Find somewhere where you can put your talents and abilities to use and use them for God's glory. Don't just attend church or merely consume Christian content. Get active, putting your faith into action and living your life in such a way that you can live out your purpose. So whenever we're thriving in our faith, we're going to want to grow deeper in our relationship with God and we're going to want to see his kingdom come on earth as in heaven. So we can never be content with where we're at currently. No matter what you're doing at the moment, I want to encourage you to just just start where you are and to take that one step further, to press a little deeper, to serve a little more, to to get connected a bit more with other believers. What's important isn't so much what you do, but that you do something. You see, if you've just merely listened to this message and then you file it away in the back of your mind and carry on living the same old way, you're going to get the same old results. And God hasn't called us to a life of the same old. 
He's called us to life in all of its fullness. He's called us to life in abundance, more than we could ask or imagine. He's called us to thrive. But that only happens when we get practical and get serious about living all for him. And the good news is that we can thrive because we don't grow alone, but as branches grafted onto the true vine, Jesus. We bear fruit, not through our own strivings, but through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, transforming us from the inside out. We can't do it by ourselves, but we don't have to because we have the Holy Spirit helping us. Be encouraged that we're not the ones responsible for producing fruit. As we serve, it simply creates opportunities for the Holy Spirit to work through us to bring fruit. Look with me again at the final verse of Ezekiel 17. All the trees of the fields shall know that I am the Lord. I bring high the low tree, I bring low the high tree, and I make high the low tree. Dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. God promises to make dry trees flourish. He promises to bring to life things that seem dead situations. He promises that when we put our faith in him, a life that seems to be withering can come back and thrive. I don't know who needs to be reminded of that truth this morning, but if that's you, I pray that you would be encouraged by the promise that God has spoken and remember, he will do it. Our God is still in the business of making the dry tree flourish, of bringing back hope into dead end situations. So remember that even in the midst of trials and tribulations, God is with us and has the power to help us grow and flourish in ways we never thought possible. So as we bring this to a close this morning, I want to remind you, the only way we can have a life that truly thrives is by being surrendered to Jesus, not just as Savior, but as Lord of our life. You see, we like having Jesus as Savior as a a one-time commitment, but having Jesus as Lord, that requires daily, ongoing surrender. It means obeying his ways rather than chasing after the things of the world. If we really want to have a life that thrives, we have to resolve to live for Jesus each and every day through the help of the Holy Spirit, who's going to empower us to help us discover our purpose. Maybe this morning you can identify with the feeling that you're in a struggle. Maybe today you're fighting just to keep going, trying to survive, trying to get by in your own strength. And I want to remind you this morning, we were made for a greater purpose. We were made to know God and to make him known. It's only when we discover that purpose that we find the freedom to truly thrive regardless of our earthly circumstances. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.